0: Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Amen. What I want to talk about today is something I'm calling under the microscope. Under the microscope. Now, for some of you guys, I remember my first under the microscope experience. Uh, I went to middle school. Mr. Perrin was his name, didn't like me at all. Believe it or not, I don't know why he didn't like me, but it was another topic for another time. My mom used to, every time my mom used to go to parent-teacher conferences, I would intercede. God, please, (laughs) close their mouths, Lord. (laughs) It'd it'd be bad, too. My mom would walk in the house, I'd look at her and just be like, (laughs) right? So I I remember Mr. Perrin was a really good guy, but I remember we got the slides where we got the microscope, and it's like, oh, this is cool. And you know, I was too cool in middle school like all middle schoolers are. And uh, and so it's just funny because I'm like, oh, cool slide, yeah, it's glass. What am I gonna, you know, put it on the microscope. I'm like, dang, that's actually kind of cool, but I can't say that out loud because I'm in middle school. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully no middle schoolers in here feeling real insecure right now, but... With that, like I said, it was like this moment where I was like, dang, there's something going on here that I thought I saw, but maybe I didn't actually see. And I think that's kind of what I want to talk about today is I I think a lot of the times in our existence and in our humanity, um, what we do is we assess and we have a finite mind of what we perceive without any real deviation outside of our own reasoning. What do I mean by that, right? As I perceived that slide, what it is, it took on a different meaning when I put it under the microscope. And I think this is Jesus' life, existence, teachings. This is the Bible. Anytime we try to perceive the meanings of God through just a page-deep interpretation, we miss the context a lot of the time of what he's trying to communicate. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to invite us on a journey, It's a great phrase. Invite us on a journey where we all sit here and say, "Okay, let's put a topic under the microscope where maybe we look at it from a different lens and try to identify a new meaning on it. And that topic today is temptation. Now, when I say that term, a lot of us, we immediately can go to a struggle or a weakness that we're at. And what I want us to do is on three, I want you to just yell it out. No, I'm just kidding. People are like, whoa, they're one of those churches. It's like, yeah, I mean. Maybe, let's do it. No. Um, but I actually want to kind of bring it through a different lens and through a different vein, mainly because I think a lot of the times we attach temptation or our weaknesses to just these very narrow subject matters. You know, and, and whether it's a, a temptation um, Really, in this world, there's just so many, whether it's an addiction or, or, or a sexual or, or anything that we feel like, you know, tempts us within a sinful and carnal reasoning that's outside of the Bible. There are just a billion of them we can talk about. A lot of the times we zero in on the ones we struggle with and immediately can identify, okay, that is a temptation and a weakness for me. Right? And that's the basis for a lot of our interpretation of what the term temptation even means. But what I want to do today is I want to focus on temptation from more of an aerial point of view and mainly through the lens of Jesus' life because, believe it or not, Jesus was tempted. Right? And not only was he tempted, um, but Jesus suffered. In Hebrews it actually says that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. And so what I want to talk about is Jesus' earliest instances of temptation, but I want us to apply it in this reasoning is I think a lot of the times we don't realize that God has actually walked through some of the things we've walked through. Right? It's easy to look at the Bible and be like, 2,000-year-old book, dude in the Middle East, has no idea what 21st century, especially what 2020 was in America. But a lot of the times when you actually take it under the microscope and understand the cultural as well as the language that's being used, you realize that these thousands of year old books that we think don't really have any meaning, actually, for generations and millenniums, people have been dealing with the same things you're dealing with. Maybe they looked a little bit different, were packaged a little bit different, worded a little bit different. But when you get it under the microscope, you might realize the temptation... And really, a lot of the overarching urges of temptation, not the necessarily uh, the, the, the distinct thing that you're dealing with, but the overarch of what temptation is, is actually found in Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And so we're going to talk about that, but before we do, I want to get us to a place of, of, we have to start before we get into anything about temptation with one key word. And that key word I'm going to talk about in this brief story. Many of you guys know I just got back from Mexico with my wife, Grace. it was awesome. It was warm. Can I get an amen? Yes. Gosh that was a perfect example for all of us to be like, yes God, please bring it back right It's like especially last night um, but but it was warm there so that was a plus. Uh, we were in Cancun it was really one of the only places we could go to in really the world. Uh, and it was nice. So we were able to kind of we we stayed at a resort on the beach and it was it was fun and I actually rented a car so we were able to travel all over the all over the island and go all over and eat at different places and go different places and you know there it's not like Michigan so you really don't even have to wear a mask you just kind of go wherever you want um, so it was it was pretty fun and one of the days I remember we were out and as we were out I uh, they have random little uh, police checkpoints and so as we were out we were driving around and. At one of the police checkpoints, they kind of motion for me to pull over, and at some of them, they check your car, blah, blah, blah. So I pull over, and then it gets a little weird because the cop looks at me and says, hey, can you step out of the vehicle? I'm like, okay, well, that's never happened to me in America, but okay, so I step out. And then can you follow me to my cop car? So I'm like, okay, I'm leaving Grace alone in the car in middle of Mexico, a little weird. Um, so I follow him over to his car. He goes, and, and he's trying to talk to me in Spanish. And I'm like, "Hey, no hablo español." I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know what you're saying. And he points. He points. He says. He says, "15 uh, uh, 15 over, 15 over." And I'm like, "Oh, 15 over." I'm like thinking, "Oh wow, well, I didn't think I was going that fast." I get passed by a taxi every three seconds going 130. Believe me, if you never drove in Mexico, it is. I mean, all things are off. <laughs> It's like the running of the bulls. Um, and so, so I'm, like, I'm like, okay, 15 over. And then I start doing, the, in my mind, I'm like, wait a second. 2.2 miles per hour is one kilometer per hour. Wait, I was going seven over. Six over. Hold on. I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, this don't make no sense. He looks at me, he goes, uh, and he's like trying to talk to me in Spanish. I'm reminding him, I don't know Spanish. He goes, uh, oh, 2,000 peso station, Downtown. And I'm like, "Dang, 2,000 pesos for 7 miles per hour over." And I'm getting passed by all the locals. I'm like, "Dang." And he goes, "2,000 pesos downtown." I'm like, I'm like, "Well, I don't have any pesos, so I guess I'll figure it out." And he doesn't understand me. I don't understand him. So then he looks at me and he goes, "150 right now." <laughs> and I go, "Oh, I see where this is going." <laughs> I say, oh 150 right now. I'm like, wow, you just shaved 900 pesos off. And naturally I look at him, I'm like, I don't have no pesos. I'm like, I don't I love saying the word pesos too. Pesos. <laughs> Grace <laughs> used to make fun of me too. I'd be like, pesos? <laughs> Mom, I'm happy you do you like that? Um but uh but I'm like, dude, I don't have 150 pesos. And he's like, uh, he goes, uh, well, why are you Why? Reason for travel. And I'm like, honeymoon. He goes, oh, honeymoon. Oh, gives me hug. Oh, look at ring. Oh, nice. Waves at the car. Honeymoon. Looks at his friend. Honeymoon. Oh, have a good day. Oh, man. Yeah. Honeymoon. Yes. High five. I like walk away. I'm like, what just happened? (laughs) I was like, I got pulled over for speeding. I went from 2,000 pesos to 150 to getting patted on the back and all the partners. but Honeymoon. Yeah. Honeymoon. So I get in the car. Grace is like, so what was that about? I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand, but we're here, and we're good. Thank you, God. Amen, Mom. But really what I want to start with is, this, is that there was one key word that I uttered that got me out of the roadblock, and that word was honeymoon. Now, I'm going to introduce a thought right here is There can be a thing that gets you out of the roadblock of temptation and it's awareness and honesty. Because a lot of us in the church, we want God to move, but we don't want to be aware and we don't want to be honest about what we're struggling with. We don't want to get people around us who will help us. We don't want to be truthful with where we're at. We rationalize and and stereotype, oh, well, it's not that bad because everybody else. And, And all the while, what we're doing is we're inhibiting the goodness of God. We're inhibiting the direction God wants us to go. We're sitting in a roadblock wondering why we're not moving forward. That's right. See, I can say that it, a lot of the times our frustration isn't rooted in God not doing what we want him to do. It's us not doing what God's commanded us to do. Come on. Yeah. And so awareness and honesty, let's just all start from a place today when we talk about temptation of saying, okay, I'm open. I'm honest, and I'm aware. Now, I'm not saying we need to share it right now, but if you just, in your mind, say, God, I'm open. I'm aware of what I'm struggling with. I'm being honest about it, and I'm here to receive and move past this because that's where we have to start. If all you want is the magic ingredients, but you don't want to actually put it all together, it all starts, the foundation ingredient, honesty and awareness. So what I want to do is I want to read this quick, this, uh, quick story, and, and we're kind of going to, unpack it um, in a way that I think is important for a lot of us, because like I said, I think a lot of the times when we look at Jesus's life, we're like, this has no meaning, no merit, no, nothing to do with me. This makes zero sense. This, I can barely even read this translation. Like, what is, And, and really what I want us to do is focus in on a couple key attributes as it pertains to temptation, and you might find out that they have a lot to do with you. So Luke 4, 1 through verse 12, and it says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. How many of you guys know this right now should confront a lot of people's theology? What does that mean? We come to God and we say, God, I want to be full of the Spirit, but I want to stay as far away from a wilderness. And what we might find is that God's actually leading us in a direction that is not really where we want to go, but to learn things. And go through things that will help strengthen and mold our lives and take us into something we never thought we could go. See, here's a lot of the the issue that I think even sustainability back to that comes in is is when we go through a wilderness season or we go through a tough spot. Is that a lot of the times what it is is we're going, God, we doubt his goodness based off of circumstance. Not realizing that it's only part of the journey. It's only, it's only maybe a blip on the radar in terms of what our entire existence is going to be. And some of us, what we do is we discount and we discredit God based off of that. And I just want to encourage you, right? If Jesus could be full of the Spirit and then led into the wilderness to be tempted, you might be too at some point. Are you okay with that? So with that, let's keep reading. It says this, for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Forty days, I can't go 40 minutes without a little food. You know, just a little snack. I used to keep Cheez-Its in my pockets. Don't judge me, right? Now, But, here, but here's the deal. Jesus, 40 days, I wanna, I'm focusing on that because here's the deal. What does it say? It says Jesus was hungry. That's pretty basic spot, all right? Jesus is hungry. And then it says this. Verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall Uh, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed for a more opportune time. If you weren't here last week, Pastor James actually referenced this. And I already had the concept for this, so I talked to him after the service and said, you better not reference that again, because I'm preaching on it next week, and that would be an attack of the enemy. <laughs> I kind of said that, actually. <laughs> but, uh, but, right, how many of you guys know, right, it's easy to be like, oh, Jesus was tempted one time. Oh, big whoop, Jesus. But, like, focus in on the last part, right, for a more opportune time. See, a lot of us, we pass the temptation test and then we forget that he's actually playing in a more opportune time test. Like some of us are like, man, I, I really got through that. And Satan's like, yeah, you did, but just wait a little bit longer. And I want to encourage a lot of us, right, is that our strength or our weaknesses aren't turned to strength with one act of faithfulness. They're not turned to strength with one act of faithfulness when, it, when it's good, when things are awesome. No, they're turned When we ultimately look at the circumstances, at the climate, at all of the stuff and say, you know what? No matter what, God, I'm faithful in this. I'm staying true in this. I'm staying in line with your word in this. I'm not deviating to my left or to my right in this. I'm standing with you. In James, it actually says this, James 1, 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person, listen to this, is tempted when he is allured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Listen to that prog- progression. It starts with desire. Then it leads to sin. Then it leads to death. See, a lot of us, we're not we don't see the death part. We're just feeling the sin part. But I promise you this, the longer you sit in that sin part, the closer you get to the death part. And it may not be a physical death. It might be a death of your happiness. It might be a death of your marriage. It might be a death of, of your well-being, of, of, your, of your fortitude and of your strength. It might be a death of your faith. It might be, See, the enemy works in all different ways to undercut what God wants to do in your life. But at the same time, it can be traced back to desires that give birth to sins that brings about death. I pray today that we're evaluating desires that we're running from sin. And in turn, because of that, we avoid the deaths of the things that the enemy wants to take from our lives. But it starts with that awareness. It starts with that place of us saying, All right, God. I know that this desire is out of whack or I know that this desire is unhealthy. I need to get to a place where it aligns with what this desire should be biblically. See, God, when he, when he comes into your life, he doesn't take away a lot of the desires that you have. He refines them in faith and in context of what they're created to be. He refines your existence into a pursuit and a knowledge of him that takes the desires of your heart and transforms them into unity with his spirit and his word. See, a lot of us, what we do is we come to God and ask for him to take things away. And yes, that can be healthy in some circumstances. But what I would ask is for you to say, God, I have this desire. Is there something in your word that is a healthy way to pursue this? Because that's what, it's it's not a form of God, take everything away. It's a progression of God, make this pure and holy. That's where we should be as believers. So with that, I want to talk about three things the devil tempted Jesus with that he might be trying to tempt you with as well. Three things he tempted Jesus with. Now, I'm not going to lie, if he tempted Jesus with these, what I'm trying to do is set the table for us realizing that the overarch of a lot of what Satan's tactic is when it comes to temptation, he applied to Jesus. And it may be thousands of years ago, but it's very relevant to today. The first one is this, what you think you need think you need? You know, if I looked at you and said, hey, what do you think you need to survive? We would have varying answers, but I would say most of them would revolve around comfort and security. Does that make sense? Yes. That's just how our culture is. It's American culture, right? If I were to ask you, what do you think you need to be healthy, happy, and whole, it would revolve, there would be probably some good elements in their family, marriage, whatever, but a lot of it, like I said, would revolve around a comfort and control mindset. Now, listen to this. Remember what it said in Luke 4, verses 3? The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, pause. That is something that Jesus actually needs, isn't that a tricky temptation, right? Jesus actually, it says, he's hungry. If you don't eat, you die. Correct? Yes. Yeah. And so what is his first temptation? Something that he needs, but listen to this. It's not the main need though. How do we know that? What is it saying? Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. See, what am I saying today? I'm saying this, the enemy walks a very fine line trying to convince you what you need is greater than God. If he can reprioritize your existence and just bump God down a couple spots. Well, I need this. Well, I need this job, so I'll sacrifice everything to get to this level of esteem, including my relationship with him, my family, whatever it is. Well... I really want this and so ultimately I've just got to apply myself for this season and then you go through the season and you never actually get back to a place of grounded and rooted in Him. What, what am I saying is if the enemy can just reprioritize God a little bit, just change your perception of His importance just a little bit, yes. just reframe and reorganize who, you, who God is to you just a little bit and just knock Him off the top spot he can do a lot more damage than you realize. See, anytime we frame our existence outside of God, we've already given the enemy room to control that narrative. If God's not on the top spot, regardless of situation, circumstance, and outcome, and he just hovers in between 2 and 18, that's what the enemy wants. That's right. And I want to encourage you, right, is he had every right to tempt him with that need. I'm going to say he did because he technically needed it to survive. But what he tempted him with was it being out of order. And some of us, our temptations are only temptations because they're out of order. See, there actually may be needs that you have. They might even be things that God wants to give you. But out of order, it's wrong. And see, some of us, we look at temptation like, oh, bad, oh, it's this, oh, it's that, no temptation. The enemy's number one tactic, get it out of order. Right. Second thing is this, right, is glory. Now, when I say this, like, none of us are going to be like, hey, how many of us are tempted with glory? And we're just like, oh, yeah, I'm a glory guy, right? Because because even that term seems older. It just seems not, not very relevant to today. Well, let me unpack it for you. Glory is actually... Um, the Greek word doxa, and it means this, honor, praise, a glory that comes from good opinion, an appearance that commands respect, excellence, or magnificence in your personhood. So let me actually ask you this question, right? It sounds a lot like living for the approval of man, living for the appearance of a life that commands respect, is excellent and magnificent. It's the propping up of oneself above God. You know, for a lot of us, and there was this phrase that really challenged me. It's by a guy named Bob Mumford. It says, praise is food for God and poison for man. And it's interesting to me because I think a lot of the times how we live our lives is based off of the appearance of what people see and not actually who we are. You know, social media's got 10 billion filters on there. You know, we we live an appearance-based reality and wonder why we're hollow. It's because we're a mile wide, but we're an inch deep. I pray that we realize that our existence isn't found in people's acceptance of you, people's approval of you, people's opinion of you. See, your perception is based on what he's done for you, how he's accepted you, how he's validated you, how he loves you. See, when you search for everything outside of God and then just try to add the cherry on top, it doesn't work like that. See, I love that he was tempted with this because, see, it actually says glory and authority both fall under that doxa term. They both do. Because what, it essentially, what it's essentially saying is that glory leads to authority. And you could actually see it all throughout the Old Testament, even in David's life. When David was conquering people for Saul, they they sang songs of him. You know, Saul kills a thousand, David kills 10,000. When glory happens, authority follows. And a lot of us, what we're doing is we're seeking the glory of the approval and the appearance of man with the hope of authority and being exalted up above them, not realizing that we weren't created for that. Only God was. When we seek our own authority and our own glory, we look at the throne that has been created for Jesus and we put ourselves on it. And I can tell you this, that that will lead down a road that you don't want to be on. The last one is this. Trusting God with our need for comfort and control. Now, for some of us, I'm just going to say this. This was the most fascinating uh, insight I've probably had this year being uh, in the last month and mainly because i'd never caught it before and i'm going to unpack it quickly with my remaining time but it says this in luke 4:12, and jesus answered him it is said you shall not put your lord god to the test now what you realize is that jesus has been referencing scripture three times this is the third time he references it but what you have to realize is that scripture had an original spot in the old testament that he's referencing and that passage when he looks at the devil and says hey when he's saying, you shall not put the Lord God to the test, he's actually referencing Deuteronomy 6, 16. And he's only saying half the verse. You know what the other half is? You shall not put the Lord God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You know what Massa is? Is it, Massa is a term that means testing. And it's a physical place that Moses named testing on behalf of people arguing with him and God, demanding water and a sign to quench their thirst. See, while God was testing the Israelites to see if they would follow his ways or not in the wilderness, the Israelites, rather than obeying God, in turn tested God and challenged him to see whether he would provide water for them on command. See. What Jesus is saying is, you shall not put the Lord God to the test as you tested him in Massa. He's saying, don't put the Lord God to the test on command, on your own will, on what you think you need, demanding that he meets your existence, what you think you need in your own realm. See, it's another thing to say, God, man, I could really use your help here. It's a whole nother thing to say, God, if you're real, do this. God, if you love me, you won't let me go through this. See, this is where it gets interesting. It's comfort and control. It's the tug of war between humanity and the kingdom. And this is what, once again, that temptation got me thinking because it's like, dude, that story is huge. Because essentially the people stop in their tracks, say, I will not go a step further. Following God's direction, I will not go a step further until he opens up a rock, which is what Moses does, and feeds me or gives me something to drink right now. Doesn't that sound like our culture? I want it now. I want it on my time frame. I want it in the way I want it. I want it right now for the need that I have. And what God is saying is, will you follow me even when it seems outside of your control, outside of your comfort, outside of your narrative, outside of your time frames, can you follow see when he looks at the enemy and says hey when he looks at him and says hey guys you shall not put the lord to your test he's saying i'm not putting the lord to the test in terms of me needing something outside of his time frame i trust him that's right because you know where trust comes from how well you're owning following I'm, I'm going to put this out there. For a lot of us, we don't trust God because we've never actually owned what it means to follow him. I'm just, We're taking a, a dirt road here. I, I just think it's so important for us, if we're going to demand God do things, right, are we doing the things that he's actually commanded us to do as followers? Because a lot of the times what happens is we get this tug-of-war frustration where, God's, where we're saying, God, we want you to do this, and God's like, you're not even meeting the bare minimums of following me. And I have so much more I can give you. But there's no commitment to a relationship with me outside of me meeting your needs. Church, can we be people who say, God... I trust you when I'm thirsty, I trust you when I'm hungry, I trust you when it doesn't meet my comfort, I trust you when it's not the direction I wanted to go, I trust you when it's outside of my time frame. I trust you when it's not on command, I trust you when I can't see it, I trust you when my knees are weak and my feet feel like they can't go forward, I trust you because I know that your plan is better. See, this is where temptation starts is that when we can doubt that God actually has a direction, that God actually has a plan, that God actually has go- is good, that God actually has our best interests in mind, and instead we can have the doubts of comfort and control come in where, wow, that seems outside of the normal. Yeah, because cultural normal isn't kingdom normal. We walk by faith, not by sight.